Father, we do want to draw near to you this morning. We do, Father, want to come and hear from you. Lord, we've had an opportunity to sing your praises, to just um, express our own heart, our own love for you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that we would feel your heart, that we would understand your heart for each one of us this day, especially as we come to your word and as your Holy Spirit comes and speaks directly into every one of our hearts. Lord, that we would see you perhaps today in a fresh way, in a new way, in a living way, in a life-changing way. Father, we open our lives now to receive whatever it would be that you would speak to each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Many years ago, there was a young boy named Antonio. And Antonio loved music, had a heart for music. And he really wanted to somehow get involved in music. Well, he tried to join the boys' choir. But you know, Antonio's voice wasn't very good. It was kind of high and squeaky, and he didn't make the tryouts. And even though he was disappointed by that, he thought, there must be something else I can do. If, if I can't sing in the choir, maybe I can play in the band. And so he tried musical instruments. And the first one he tried was a violin. And he brought the violin home, and he would play the violin in his house. But finally his neighbors complained so much that Antonio's parents made him quit the violin. And so Antonio grew up with this dream, this, this heart, this passion for music, and yet no way to express it. See, the only thing really Antonio was any good at was whittling. He would sit there for hours with a piece of wood and he would whittle it down and make little animals out of the wood. One day, Antonio had the opportunity to take his hobby and marry it with his passion. He began to apprentice for a violin maker. And his knack for whittling grew into a joy and a skill at carving. And Antonio Stradivarius went on to create over 1,500 exquisite violins. Each one of them carved precisely for the best musical quality. And even today, hundreds of years later, the Stradivarius violin if it comes up for sale ever, will fetch hundreds of thousands of dollars. You see, Antonio had a heart for music. He found a way to express that heart. He found a way to express his passion. And because of that, the name Antonio Stradivarius is known even in the music world today. Let me ask you this. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Today we continue our series looking at shape. We're looking at spiritual gifts last week, that's the S. Today we look at H, which means the heart. When we speak about the heart, we're talking about interests, we're talking about passions, we're talking about desires, the emotional component of each one of us. We're not talking so much about intellect or things that we think as we are talking about what excites you, what is it that you're interested in, what is it that drives you in life. Proverbs 27 verse 19 says this, As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. In other words, you can look into the water and you can see your face. And you know what? By looking at a person's face, you can tell something about that person, how that person is doing. 
But to truly understand who a person is, you have to look at their heart. You have to look at what is it that they're passionate about. What is it that they're interested in? Everyone in the world has a different heart. We're all interested in something different. We're all interested in something that maybe the person next to you is not interested in. No, this is true spiritually. And isn't it a good thing? Isn't it a good thing that God didn't make us just all the same? That we were all interested in one thing? Because if God made us all interested in one thing, we'd all try to compete to do that one thing and everything else would get undone. But no, instead God made us interested in a bunch of different things. And that way, everything gets done. It's true spiritually, but you know it's also true physically. Do you know that your heart beats different than any other person on the planet Earth? Physically, the way your heart beats is as unique to you as is your fingerprint or your eye scan. Everyone has a unique heartbeat. There are some things that you are interested in and other people couldn't care less. There are some things that you could talk about for hours and other things you couldn't listen to it for five minutes. I mean, we're different, right? We're all different. We have different interests. I remember this time once at our house. I had gone out and I had gotten myself a a sound system for our television. First time I was going to have Dolby Digital 5.1 sound. And I remember I set it all up. I put the receiver there and I put the speakers behind on the wall and I put the speakers in the front and, and you know, the, everything was there. And it was all set up. And finally I turned it on and I thought, oh, this sounds so amazing. And I called Naomi. I said, Naomi, come here, you've got to hear this. And I set her down in the middle of the couch, the optimum place for hearing everything. And I turned on the TV and I cranked it up loud. And she said, oh, I hate this show. I said, no, 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 don't wait, it's not the show. Just listen to the sound. She said, it's too loud, turn it down. Totally missed it. I was so excited about this that you could hear stuff all around you. Totally missed it. I might as well have not had the thing at all, you know. Couldn't care less about it. We're like that, aren't we, as people? There are some things that excite us and really interest us, and other people, they couldn't care less. God has hardwired into you certain interests. Certain things that you're passionate about. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Notice it doesn't say there that God is simply, it is God in us who allows us to act according to His good purpose. It's to will and to act. In other words, the things that God wants us to do, He gives us the heart to do it. He doesn't simply give us the job, He gives us the joy. He doesn't simply give us the work, He gives us the opportunity to enjoy what it is that we're doing. So let me ask you, what is it that you enjoy doing? You know, last week we talked about spiritual gifts. Last Wednesday, we, at 7 o'clock, we had a seminar and we talked about discovering your spiritual gifts. And I know that there were some people that went to that seminar and they did the questionnaire and they came away thinking, well, 
This really doesn't tell me anything I didn't already know. Well, it's important not to simply take that alone. You see, to truly understand how God has shaped you, you have to understand all five of the things we're talking about. It's one thing to do a spiritual gift seminar, but to truly understand what your gifts are, you have to also understand and ask yourself the question, what is it that I enjoy doing? And what is it that I'm good at? Because the things that God has gifted you to do, you're going to enjoy doing and you're going to be good at it. That's why today we're talking about heart. What is it that you enjoy? Next week we talk about abilities. What is it that you're good at? What is the secret to an effective life? The secret to an effective life is simply this. Do what you enjoy doing. Find what you enjoy doing and do it often. That's the secret to a successful life. You want the key to an unsuccessful life? Spend all your time concentrating on stuff you don't want to do. All right? You see, if you concentrate on what you're good at, you'll find significance. You'll find that purpose in life. But you know what? People are rarely successful at things they hate doing. I mean, if you're in a job and and you hate it, you're not going to spend a lot of time and energy developing it. Right? Because it's not something that you enjoy. Instead, you focus on something that you do enjoy. Passion is the word we're talking about here. What is it that you're passionate about? Passionate people get things done. Moses was passionate about delivering the people of Israel, and that's what happened. Paul was passionate about sharing Christ with other people, and he went around the the, the Roman world doing that. Look at history. William Wilberforce was passionate about the abolition of slavery. And if you've seen the movie Amazing Grace, you'll understand what that passion in that man allowed him to do. Martin Luther was passionate about reforming the church. Martin Luther King was passionate about equality and justice for all. What are you passionate about? What is it that excites you? See, the problem in life often is, is that we start off as passionate people, but somewhere along the the way, our dreams are broken. Our heart is broken. And we lose sight of what it is that God has hardwired us to enjoy and to love doing. What are some of the things that breaks our heart? What are some of the things that stop our heart from directing us in the direction we should go? Well, number one is disappointment. If you've been hurt in the past, that causes you to go back into your shell. Disappointment can become a self-imposed prison. You offer your heart to someone, that person breaks your heart, and so you say, I'll never give my heart to anyone else again. In other words, you start thinking to yourself, well, I really felt passionately about this, but my heart was broken by that, therefore, I'm never going to feel passionately about anything else ever again. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to protect my heart. I'm going to withdraw my heart and surround it by a high wall and that way protect it. But the problem is, that's like going into a jail cell, locking the door and throwing the key away. It's a self-imposed prison. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. If you go through life deferring your heart, 
Oh, well, God wants me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. God wants me to do this, maybe next year. God wants me to move in this direction. He wants me to accept this ministry. He wants me to go in this area of my life. You know it. He's calling you. And yet you say, maybe next year. Maybe when I get more of this. Maybe when I get more of that. And year after year after year go by. And what does that do? It makes your heart sick. But it says, a longing fulfilled. Oh, that's a tree of life. When you go after what you're passionate about, it's life. It's what life is truly meant to be. Disappointment, number one. Fear, number two. Fear is another heart stopper. Disappointment keeps us from finishing the race. Fear keeps us from starting the race. Fear says, you know, my heart is telling me I should go in this direction, but I'm afraid. What happens if? What, I, what, what happens if? Remember the story of the parable of the talents? This rich man sells everything he owns. He converts it into money. He gives that money to his servants. The man goes away. The first guy takes it and he invests it and he gets a lot back. And the second guy invests it and he gets money back. But the third guy is afraid. He's afraid. What happens if I take this money that I've been given and I lose it? And so he takes it and he buries it in the ground. Is the master happy with that man? No. He says, you evil servant. Proverbs 12.25 says, an anxious heart weighs a man down. An anxious heart weighs a man down. Don't let fear stop you from living the dream that God has given you. Disappointment, fear. Number three is guilt. Guilt stops us from going after our dreams because it requires a tremendous amount of energy. When we're guilty, when we've done something and we're feeling guilt over that thing, it just sucks our energy. King David, it says that after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed, it says that he wrote in, in, in the Psalms that when my, heart, when my mouth was silent, it was like my bones wasted away within me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. There was such guilt in his life. Nothing was going right for him. He, was, he, he just grew more and more and more and more depressed. And that's what happens with guilt. As long as you're walking around with a bunch of guilt, a bunch of regrets, it's kind of like you load your back up with 300 pound knapsack. And you're trying to carry that through the race of life. And every moment, every week, something else gets placed in that. Every month, another object gets placed in that. Every year, more weight is added to it until eventually it becomes unbearable and you just collapse under the weight of it. Psalm 40 verse 12 says, For trouble without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Disappointment, fear, guilt. The fourth is bitterness. Bitterness will eat you alive. Bitterness is worse than cancer. It's the worst kind of heart disease you can have. Bitterness is when you allow pain and disappointment to sour and, 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 and to just destroy you. 
Bitterness means you're always looking backward. You're resentful. You go through life seeking revenge and you're always replaying situations over and over and over and over again in your life. You cannot move forward in joy if you're living in bitterness. If you're carrying resentment and unforgiveness in your heart. Psalm 73 verse 21 says, When my heart was grieved, my spirit was embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And that's a good picture of bitter people. They go through life and there's just no joy. There's just, there's just no passion in their life. And the last is rejection. If you've had people reject you in the past, if you've had people say to you, oh, you can't do that. You know, it's interesting that you talk to a kid and you ask a kid, what's your dreams? They'll tell you all kinds of crazy dreams. I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be the president. You know, and it's like, well, we don't have a president in Canada. Well, I'll be the prime minister then. You know, I'll, I'll be this and I'll be that. They have these huge dreams. I'll be an actor on a stage, you know, and doing this and this and this. And yet, as they grow older and older and older, those dreams begin to die. They no longer shoot for the stars. Why? Because so many people come alongside them and tell them that they can't can't do it. Oh, you'll never be that. Oh, you can't be that. Oh, don't be crazy. You're not fast enough or strong enough or smart enough or whatever it is. You'll just never amount to anything. And those words like daggers affect us and they hold us back and they keep us from following our dreams. Like Psalm 64 verse 3 says, they sharpen their tongues like swords and they aim their words like deadly arrows. You ever felt like that? Like a word has hit you like a sword or like an arrow and it's just pierced your heart? Maybe you've experienced some of these things in your life. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I used to have a dream. I used to have a dream. But disappointment and fear and guilt and bitterness and rejection have robbed me from that dream. How do you recapture your dream? Well, let me give you a couple of simple steps to recapturing your dream. Number one, the first step is to open your heart. Open your heart. It's receiving Jesus into your life. Only Jesus can heal you. Only Jesus can restore you. You have to have God in your life if you're going to follow your dreams. A few years ago, Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book called The Dream Giver. And I strongly encourage anyone here, if you're ever at Cameron's and you see that book, it's not a very expensive book, it's a very short book, you can read it in a couple of hours, go out and buy it. Bruce Wilkinson, The Dream Giver. It's a book that changed my life. In the book he says this, that God has given every person, every believer, a dream. Something, a God-given purpose. And the key to life is, a, is discovering what that dream is and following your passion. But maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Steve, that's all good and well, but you know what? I'm just not really passionate about anything right now. I'm, I'm, just, really not, I, I'm just really not a very passionate kind of person. This to you, maybe the reason you're not passionate is because you're disconnected from God. If you're going to be a passionate person, you have to be connected to the power source. You cannot be dispassionate and touch an electrical wire, right? Anybody here who's an electrician knows that when you come into contact with an electrical wire, what happens? 
Oh, gee, I guess I'm touching an electrical wire. Oh, well. No, it's like, whoa! <laughs> you know, you oh, blah, 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 like this. And it, it, you get passionate real fast. You touch 110 volt, you get passionate real fast. The same thing is true of God. You cannot be connected to God and be dispassionate. Because God is a passionate God. And if we were created in the image of God, and God is a passionate God, then that means that we must be passionate people. Or we are not reflecting the true nature and character of God in our lives, which is the definition of what holiness is. This is true for God. The closer you get to God, the more passionate you will be in your life. The more joy, the more satisfaction there's going to be. But you know what? It's not just true of God. It's also true of other people. If you get around passionate people, what happens to you? You get passionate. If you're around dispassionate people, guess what happens to you? You lose your passion. That's just, that's just true. Who you spend time with influences your heart. It makes a difference. I remember when I was growing up, I had a kind of heart for mission. I, I just felt that God was putting this, this desire for missions on my heart. And I didn't know how to express that. You know, I, I would talk to other people and they weren't really interested in missions. I would talk to my pastor. My pastor wasn't really interested in missions. and It seemed like everywhere I turned, I, I couldn't find anybody who really was interested in the same thing. And then I had a chance to go to Urbana Conference. This Urbana Conference, 30,000 young adults get together in Urbana, Illinois for this missions conference. And they have incredible worship at the speakers. But the best thing is they have these two huge conference centers full of nothing but different mission organizations. And they set up their tables and they have missionaries there. They're in the field. And I remember walking into this building and I thought to myself, I am home. I have arrived. I mean, everywhere around me there were people that were passionate about missions. And I spent hours just going around from booth to booth talking to everybody. I had a friend there from university that was there with me. And he wasn't really interested in missions. So he's like walking around going, hey, can we just go do something else? Let's go eat or let's go do... And I'm like, I don't care. You go do what you want. I mean, I am here until the lights turn off and they drag me from this room with my nail prints in the floor floor, you know, I'm going to spend as much time here as I possibly can. Why? Because I had found people that think like me. Have you ever noticed that when you get around people that have the same passion that you have, there's an immediate connection? It's kind of like there's, a, there's an immediate heart-to-heart -heart bond with that person. You get around passionate people and it fuels your passion. But the opposite is also true. You give me any young pe person... I'll show this to be true. You take a young person, you put that young person in a group of people that are spiritually passionate about God, and I guarantee that person is going to have their passion fueled. You take that same young person, you put them in a room full of kids that aren't spiritually passionate, that are turned off religion and want nothing to do with it, and what do you think is going to happen to that kid? That's why parents, I believe strongly, that as long as your child is under your roof, 
You ask that child to be involved in something where their spiritual passion is fueled on a weekly basis. I mean, you can't make a horse drink, but you can lead them to water and make them sit by the water. All right? I mean, you can demand that your kid goes to youth group. And you know what? If they don't like this youth group, go to another youth group. Find something that they're passion, that's going to surround them with spiritually passionate people and make sure that they stay there. Because I'll tell you what, they're not going to get that probably from school. And they're not going to get that from some of their other friends. If you want more passion in your life, you have to draw close to God. Do you want more enthusiasm in your life? I love the root words, the root of words. You know what enthusiasm means? It's a weird word, enthusiasm. Enthusiasm comes from the Greek word, two Greek words, entheos. Enthused means to be entheos. En means in, and theos means God. In other words, a person who is enthused is a person who is in God. You want to be enthused? Get with God. Draw closer to Him. And he will fuel the passions in your heart. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. People often take this just as salvation. But this wasn't written just about salvation. This is a daily decision that each one of us makes. God stands at the door of our heart and He says, I want to have time with you. I want you to spend time with me. And daily we have to make the decision whether or not we will respond to Him knocking at the door of our hearts. Whether we will spend time with Him in prayer, in Bible study, around other people, listening to a tape, whatever that is. Open your heart, number one. Number two is heal your heart. If you've had your heart broken, God wants to mend you. God wants to restore you. Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. God knows what we go through in life. At the very darkest times in our life, that's when God is the closest to each one of us. He sees every tear. He feels everything. He knows everything about us. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter wrote, Be self-controlled and alert. Your devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And listen to what it says here. It says, The God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a while will himself restore you. Restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. But that word restore you, katartidzo, kata meaning according to, and kidzo meaning perfection. That God will return you to a point of perfection. That God will, like your computer that has the virus in it, He'll reboot your hard drive. He'll return you to factory defect. He'll bring you back to where you are supposed to be. He will mend you. Peter knew something about that. Peter himself had made some mistakes. He had had his heart broken. But Peter understood the importance of mending. At one point it says in Matthew 4.21, going on from there, 
It says Jesus saw the two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. The day Peter was called, he was preparing his net. The word preparing is the same word, katartidzo, mending. That fishermen know that after you've fished all night, nets have holes. And you can't fish with a net that has holes in it. The fish swim right through it. You are, they are ineffective. Likewise, a life that is broken is an ineffective life. And God doesn't want us to live ineffective lives. He wants to come and help us to mend that net, repair that net, bring us back to a place of productivity in our lives. And God is able to do that. Why? Because God created you. I was just reading this week a story that years ago, over in Detroit, there was a guy that had a Model T, brand new Model T, was so proud of his new car, but he's driving it down the road, suddenly the thing stops working, goes clunk, 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 clunk. And it stops, and he's fiddling around with it, he can't get the thing working, and then he looks, and behind him pulls up one of the early limousines, you know, this nice car, and there's a chauffeur driving it, and this guy gets out of the back of this limousine, he has a top hat on, and a fancy coat, and he comes walking up, and he says, hey, your car is broken? And the guy says, yeah, yeah, I, I can't get it started, and so he goes, well, let me take a look at it, and he fips up the hood and tinkers around with it, and he says, okay, try it now. And sure enough, they give it a crank, the car starts right up. And the man is very grateful. He says, well, thank you very much. What's your name? And the guy goes, oh, I'm Henry Ford. (laughs) Of course Ford was able to fix the thing. He invented it. God invented you. God created you. He made you. He knows how to restore you. He knows how to fix you. He knows how to bring you back to a place of perfection. Open your heart. Heal your heart. Number three, listen to your heart. That means listen to what's inside of you. I don't have time to really talk about that in a lot of detail, but you just have to take time and ask yourself, what is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that I love doing? Number three, direct your heart. Just because you're passionate about something, you have to be wise in how to pursue that dream. Just because you love Mexican food doesn't mean you should necessarily go and open up a Mexican restaurant, okay? Those are two different things. Just because you love it doesn't mean you should do it. You have to be smart. The best thing to do is to find somebody who's passionate about what you're passionate about, find out what they're doing, and do the same thing. Learn from their example. Be wise about how you express and how you um, follow after the dream that God has given to you. And lastly is... You release your heart. You launch out in faith. God will bless you if you're doing what it is that He created you to do. You'll be good at it and you'll love doing it. However, there's always going to be a fear factor. I believe that there's probably people here right now that you could identify one dream that God has given to you in your life that you have never done anything about. Maybe God said, I want you to go and I want you to be involved in this. And, and you said, no, I, I'm afraid, God. W- what happens if I fail? What happens if I don't succeed? Two girls from this congregation are going to China this summer. That's got to be scary. <laughs> that's that's got to be kind of intimidating. You know what? I'm really glad that they said, you know what? I don't care if I'm scared. I'm going to go for this. The group that went to Haiti last year, I'm sure some of them were kind of apprehensive, thinking, you know, this is a country that had an earthquake and that we hear there's problems and all this kind of stuff. You know what? They went after it. 
They got beyond the fear and they followed their dream. There's a point when you, if you're on a trapeze where you're swinging on the trapeze and you go back and you go forth and you go back and you go forth. But until you let go of the trapeze you're on, you will never get to the trapeze you want to get to. There's always that point when you have to let go and you have to grab on. But between the letting go and the grabbing on, you're up in the air. You're high up in the middle of the air and there's nothing supporting you. And that can be scary. But until you let go and until you go for it, you're never going to move forward in your faith. And some of you have spent your entire faith simply swinging back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And God has given you a dream and God has given you a passion. There's something in your life and you think, man, if if I could do anything, I would want to do this. I would just want to, I would want to go out and and I would open up a a crisis pregnancy center. Man, I would go out and, and and I would, I would stand on a street corner and I would, I would hand out tracts to people. I would, I would counsel people who are going through problems of this or, or I would do this or whatever it is. God has placed that desire in you. He's placed that passion within you. And you go week to week, month to month, year to year, thinking, man, someday I really got to get about doing this. But all you're doing is swinging back and forth, back and forth, afraid to let go. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I want to give you a guarantee if you follow your heart, if you launch out in faith, following what God has gifted you and God has put within you to do, I tell you what, you will find satisfaction in life like you have never experienced ever before. When you do what you love, when you do what God has hardwired you to do, I tell you what, it's amazing. You're going to try to stop climbing the ladder to success because you'll have found something even more precious, which is fulfillment. You know how a lot of people medicate themselves because they're not following their dreams? A lot of people today medicate themselves with money. They think, if I can just buy that bigger television, if I can just buy that gadget, if I can just get that bigger house or that newer car, then maybe I won't feel so bad about chasing after my dreams because because the bigger house and the, the better car means success. But I'll tell you what, significance is always better than success. Purpose is always better than prosperity. Meaning always trumps money every time. Psalm 4 verse 7 says, You filled my heart with a greater joy than when their grain and their new wines abound. I mean, some people get happy when the grain comes and when the new wine abounds. They eat and they drink and they think that's great. But let me tell you something. God can fill your heart with such desire and such peace and such contentment that it's better than that. You follow your passion. You follow your dream. And you will find it unlocks you to a new level of commitment, a new level of experience, a new level of of faith that you've never experienced in your life before.
Let me close. Charles Thomas Studd, C.T. Studd to his friends, was born back in 1860 in England. He was born to wealthy parents. C.T. Studd had everything you could ask for in life. He was rich. He could have anything that money could buy. When he was only 16 years old, he started playing cricket professionally. We don't really know a lot about cricket, but over in England, cricket's a big thing. And I mean, age 16, he was already playing it professionally. By 19, he was the captain of England's cricket team, the number one premier club, cricket club in all of England. He would compete against Australia and against different countries. He was one of the best known cricket players and had an incredible record that to this day, not many players have been able to match. C.T. Studd had everything you could ask for. He had fame. He had fortune. He graduated the top of his class from Cambridge University. The world was his doorstep. He could have done anything he wanted to in life. You know what he did? He left it all behind. He became a missionary. He went to China. Disappeared for 20 years in the hardest part of China, giving his life, speaking to people who are living in poverty, planting churches. After 20 years in China, he went to India, one of the hardest parts of India, planting churches, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of his life, he went to Africa. And he ended up dying in Africa. You know, C.T. Studd could have been known for many things. His cricket record, his, 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 his family fortune. But you know what C.T. Studd is known for? If you look up the name C.T. Studd, Google it. C.T. Studd is known for one quote. And it's this. He once wrote... Some people love to dwell near church with choir and steeple bell. But I want to run a rescue station a yard from the gate of hell. Guy that had everything followed his dream, followed his passion. And because of that today, there are hundreds of churches around the world. Hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world who can trace their spiritual lineage back to one man, C.T. Studd. A man who left everything to follow his heart. I just want to encourage each one of us today and ask you, what is it that you're passionate about? What has God given you the heart to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you created each one of us. You, you knit us together, Father. Before we were even born, Father, you knew us and you hardwired into us a number of things, including our passions, our heart, the things that, that drive us, the things that we're interesting in, are interested in. Lord, I just recognize today that there are many here maybe today that have at some point in their life identified that passion, but have not followed it. 
Maybe they've rubbed up against it. Maybe they've, they've seen it from a distance. Maybe, maybe an idea has popped into their head at one point that, that maybe they should be doing more. That, that God, you gave them an interest in something. You, you gave them a heart for something. That, and, and they know, they know, they know that they should be following after that heart, but they haven't. Maybe fear, maybe disappointment or rejection has, has, has come along. But Father, I pray that this day, Lord, would you release us in faith to follow our hearts, to follow our passions, to, to, to chase after our dreams. Lord, all we can offer today is ourselves. And that's what we offer. Lord, we offer you our hearts. And ask, Lord, that you would mend them and direct them and send us out in faith, Father, to use them to change a broken world. Thank you, Father, for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.